Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 34, and we are doing chapters 36 through 39 of Words of Radiance. We have finally made it, gentlemen. There is the one of the loudest critiques of The Way of Kings and the first half of Words of Radiance is Shalon has a completely different story than everybody else. But she is finally here. She's finally at the Shattered Plains. And she talks to Adolin. She talks to Kaladin. She talks to Dalinar. We get some good conversations to start part three of Words of Radiance. Paul, how are you feeling about starting with part three here? A bit relieved. Um, very happy. We So these were all Shallan chapters, but it didn't feel like they were Shallan chapters on their own because everyone was in it. Sure. So, very cool. Okay. Elliot? Stuff stuff is happening now. We're we're still. I feel st- still feel like we're fresh off the whole Zeth and Shalon drawing the shard blade craziness we had two episodes ago, and stuff is still happening. We still we now have this big council. We have Shalon actually showing up and interacting with all the all the characters. We're we're in the thick of it now. Words of Radiance. Two weeks ago, I said I was excited for you guys because this is where I think. Words of Radiance really starts is when Shalon is we, we, we've kind of picked up some Shalon character development of Tin and Yasna and she's finally here and this is kind of where Words of Radiance really starts going so we are we are here do you guys have two words to summarize this high court scene that Shalon walks into yeah my, my two words for this were they go hand in hand. It was honesty and deceit. Okay. Uh, Elliot? Paul, I feel like your your two words are really good to describe, like, just Shalon's journey so far. Um, but the the, wor- the wor- words that I have for these chapters were fear and maneuvering. Okay. Fear, maneuvering, honesty, and deceit. All right, let's talk about these. Let's talk about deceit and honesty and first, Paul. There's Shalon is very tactful here and chooses to be honest sometimes and chooses to, to be deceitful others with with who she's talking to in the room at different different points. So talk to me a little bit about your words. Yeah, so I actually thought about only having one word and that being honesty. Um I feel like Shalon in a lot of this was forced to be honest. There's really no way out of it for her to be dishonest, which I was very glad for because she's a lot of her story has been kind of weaving together a bunch of stories and fronts and facades to get by. And here she kind of just had to be honest with things uh, in order to get where she's supposed to be. And I was very grateful for that in all honesty. Um, and for the deceit side, it was less so with Shalon specifically in my mind and more so with kind of a lot of the politicking that's going on and um, things like all the drama that happened with Adolin and, and the other princes and people around there. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like they were just kind of being nasty to each other. Um, and one step further, I feel like it encompassed, like Elliot said, that encompassed Shalon's story thus far pretty fully. It's all about truths and lies or deceit and honesty. So that was why I went with that. Okay. Uh, Elliot. So I had fear and maneuvering. Maneuvering for mostly all like the, like you're mentioning, Paul, the, the politicking and everyone trying to maneuver the other party into the right position and trying to convince others. Shalon has to do a lot of maneuvering or she decides to do a lot of maneuvering. She could have played this pretty straightforward. She didn't even need to, you know, 
barge in kind of in the moment she does. She could have bided her time and just kind of approached Dalinar quietly, but she's, she decides to jump right into kind of the politics of it all and, and ends up kind of aligning herself with this this other high prince. What's his name again? Sabariel. Seb, Sabariel, that guy. In, in, a, in a pretty big maneuver to try and kind of help and play out the way that she wants it to. So a lot of maneuvering here. And then I had fear just because partly for the Shalon flashback chapter, which is all about fear, all about how everyone is so afraid of Lord, High Lord, Bright Lord Devar that he has stranglehold on his his whole estate. But then the rest of the Shalon has to overcome some fears here. She has to jump in and, and be confident and, and unafraid steps into this new role that she's in but then also the rest of the high princesses they're they're all acting kind of out of fear here they're all kind of they're so terrified of the assassin zeth that's come that they're they're not really thinking about the greater good here and they're really just kind of trying to protect themselves or at least a bunch of them so lots of fear lots of maneuvering kind of to counterbalance or to counterpoint your fear Zeth attacked last night, and both Elokar and Dalinar and Adolin are all at this uh, at this meeting with all the other high princes, as if carry on as usual. I I don't know what how you would act otherwise, but they they're all still fairly confident, fairly going on with as business as usual, even after they saw Adolin get stuck to the ceiling the night before. I they even talk about this. I'm trying to it's I don't remember if it was in the, the part where we had Adolin for a little bit, but the uh they even thought like is this dangerous for us to have all the high princes in one place? You know, could Zeth come and, and wipe us all out right here? But oh no, there's so many shard bearers here that, that we're we're safe, right? We're safe in numbers. But then I think they even think about this, and I remember it too, the scene we got back in Way of Kings with Zeth taking out the king of Yaakoved and how that was a similar scenario where he had all these soldiers and other shard bears to protect him. And Zeth can take on a lot. And so I think it is pretty dangerous, actually, for them to be meeting like this and having everyone in one place. Zeth, Zeth could show up and, and wipe, wipe pretty much all of them out in one go if he wanted to, I think. Dalinar at this point knows that Zeth is after him. Is it irresponsible for Dalinar to be here? It's a good question. I I think I think he's probably thinking that he's more in danger on his own. That you know, as an assassin, he's way less likely. Zeth is way less likely to you know just full on attack a huge gathering, and so Dalinar. Dollar might feel that he's he's safer here. Is he being a little irresponsible? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's kind of endangering the rest of these folks, knowing that that Zeth is after him. But I, I don't know that I would say he shouldn't come to to this. I think they need to figure out something to do. So I, I would say he's within his right for sure. Sure. And weighing the weighing the risk versus the reward. If he can sure. get if he can get all of the high princes to start working together by showing up to this meeting, then isn't it, isn't it his responsibility to be here? Exactly. Let's talk about walking into this meeting from Shalon's perspective, because that's the majority of chapter 36, is her approaching approaching this meeting. She has her deserter soldiers, and she's walking into the the war camp, and she's she's concerned that they're going to get arrested. She knows that they're deserters. She knows that they're from this camp. I think Vatha has said that he's from uh, Sadius's army and she's, she's worried that they're going to get, uh, going to get confronted, but it's fairly, it's fairly clear until she runs into Kaladin at the, at the palace or at the courtroom door and Kaladin recognizes Gaz. Any any thoughts on on this chapter? I thought this chapter was really like entertaining. Mm-hmm. 
um, because I was I was curious how it would go because we knew Shalon was going to see Kaladin again after faking being a horn eater, yeah, and <laughs> demanding his boots. You know, um, she was honest with who she was in a sense, and she you know said, "Hey, I'll give you some boots back. No worries." Um, I was really curious what would happen with with Gaz and. I guess it wasn't what I expected. Sure. I don't know. I feel like Kaladin was um less aggressive about it. I thought he was just going to be super outraged and try to just hurt him or kill him or whatever. Um, yeah, not that much happened, but it was kind of a tense moment. Yes. Yeah, the whole time through, especially the Gaz part, you know, Shalon is thinking, oh man, this couldn't go any worse. But I'm I'm kind of with you, Paul. Like, I thought it was going to go worse. I, I thought it actually went fairly well from Shalon's perspective. That that could have been much more violent, the reunion of Kaladin and, and Gaz. And they're pretty shocked to, to see each other. But yeah, I it could it could have come to blows, I think. I think this is this scene is really funny from Gaz's perspective. Gaz <laughs> Gaz leaves the war camp. He deserts with some of his buddies. He's he had a couple run-ins with Kaladin back at the war camp. He comes back what a month later, and he's the captain of Dalinar's guard. He's like, wait a wait a minute. <laughs> how does how does that happen? He even compliments him. Kind of, he's like, oh, Kaladin. <laughs> Look! Look at well! Congrats! I love I love what you've done with the place, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, which is hilarious. Because yeah, I mean, if you're Gaz, right? There's no world that this happens, right? Right. Like, this doesn't happen, and that that was very funny. From Shalon's point of view in this chapter, she turns around and Gaz is already halfway down the corridor, like because <laughs> he recognized Kaladin and is running. I just imagine Gaz is walking up with Shalon and does this massive double take on who on the the captain of the guard who's confronting Shalon he's like no it can't be oh it's definitely him and it just like starts <laughs> walking the other direction yep couldn't get out of it though he was stuck but at the end of this I... uh Shalon gets a a writ of pardon from King Elkar himself for Gaz. So at the end of this little section of chapters, Gaz is completely forgiven. So I'm very proud of Shalon for coming through on that. Actually, she, you know, there, there was a scene where Tin was trying to convince her to turn them in and, you know, collect the bounty on all these deserters, but she goes exactly the opposite route. She goes straight to, you know, Dalinar and makes that demand basically of saying, Hey, look, they, Yes, they were deserters, but they helped me out. I promised them clemency. You know, I need to get that, and and she gets it for him. Like that, I good. I think that was a very good move for her. Very honorable move. It was, and and that's one thing I kind of wanted to bring up. So we had this discussion of when Shalon gets here, who she meets with is gonna oh, yeah. basically set the tone for everything, right? And I have to say, I was very wrong with with this and what i thought would happen or at least what would happen per person she meets with um so she talks to dalinar and as i have to say if it was anyone else that she really talked with about this about things i, I feel like it wouldn't have happened because she was very just straightforward and honest with it and dalinar is one of the few if not the only high prince who would appreciate that right. i guess and really take that into serious account. Um, and what I was really surprised of was how almost poorly Navani treated her not. Yeah. I would say it was very justified. You know, it, it was like an emotional moment for Navani, I guess. Right. Uh, with the, like, you know, delicate information. But just thinking of the characters in the Shattered Plains, I thought if Shalon goes up and meets Navani first, she would probably be the most, I guess, welcoming or open to Shalon in general. And right. that was not the case. And so I th 
that was just something that was very different from what I thought would happen. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I thought Navani was going to be much more sympathetic to Shalon, and instead she was almost, you know, accusing Shalon of having a hand in, in Yasna's death, which, like we said, I, I, I think that's excusable for her. She just learned of the death of her daughter, which is pretty terrible. So she she's not in the, a great state of mind, but I was a little surprised there. And yeah, Shalon ended up kind of meeting, I mean, she meets Calvin first for the most part, but then kind of meets all the rest of them all at once. So that probably helps her. I think that was probably one of the better scenarios as far as kind of getting through all of this. So I, I think Shalon came off pretty, pretty good, all things considered. I agree. One thing I want to bring up, emphasis on, I want to bring this up briefly. Okay. So back in the Way of Kings, I talked about how there was the scene between Dalinar and Navani that were just awkward, not a fan of them, right? Right. And this one, I feel like it started, it, it's kind of setting that romantic stage almost for, like, Shalon and Adolin. Yeah. But there's got to be a camp here, right, for Shalon and Kaladin and Shalon and Adolin, right? Because it was very intentional <laughs> with this, like, bickering back and forth between Shalon and Kaladin, that I was like, if this were a movie, you would see that and be like, okay, they're going to fall in love. Like, right. that's going to happen later on. Um, but also, Adolin and Shalon really seemed to to fancy each other. So, I don't know. I guess pick a side, and <laughs> I don't know if anything will happen there, but I, I thought that was kind of funny. That I think it was in the same chapter. It really seems like one was like the comical. I don't want to call it an interest right now, but you know what I mean, right? Uh, interaction, and the other was like, a, "Oh, handsome prince!" Like, you know, I, I thought it was kind of funny, but yeah. One thing to think about if that were to happen is Kaladin. I don't think would ever admit to himself that he likes the light eyes. He would. He would True. suppress that forever. So True. If, if you are going Good. full love triangle uh, prediction camp, then you might have a Kaladin bump in the road there. That is true. It would take a lot of character development, which is how, it, you know, right now they hate each other, right? They hate you. So <laughs> uh, we'll see. But yeah, I don't have I don't have a side. I don't. I'm not that invested in it, but I felt like it was an intentional interaction there, almost. Sure. I could see it in a movie setting, at least. Totally. You want to talk about Adolin in this? Adolin has a point of view for I think half a chapter here before Shalon walks in. And Adolin gets another duel, but it's not with who he wanted. It, the whole the whole ranking system of their duels, of their of the Light Eyes duels, he's trying to obviously take down the highest ranked Light Eyes he can so that more people will see him as a threat and more people will take him seriously. But he's not like people are still avoiding Adolin's duels. He does get a duel for one shard, and he puts what four, five on the line five. for one. And it's he just mentions to himself afterwards, like, "What did I just agree to? That's a terrible deal." But he does he does get a duel. So I'm to think of dueling as the like Alethi version of like fantasy football, where everyone's like tracking stats on their favorite duelist and you know they have to work their way up the the brackets and they they have you know their performance index and, and all this stuff it seems like a big thing it's probably a big thing amongst you know alethi college kids that's fair the uh the shard plate crack average for for your duel how many shard plate hits you get per duel exactly 
but yeah, I, I noticed that it seems like Adolin's tactics for getting duels seems to not be working super well. He's He's been trying a couple different things to try and get people to come after him, and his latest one was win, but look like I'm losing, so that other people will think, oh, I can take him down. I'll, I'll duel him. Scenario when he goes after this one particular guy that that backfires. The the guy that he's trying to get a duel with is like, well, you just barely won your last you know duel. You're not even worth me. Kind of the opposite reaction that Adolin was hoping for. So right, Adolin's been struggling, but he did he does have another duel. He at least is able to line up uh, another another version or another uh, another go to try and grab another shard. And then Shalon walks in, and his head turns. <laughs> yep, she he no he notices. I think I think the conversation between him and Amaram is really funny. That we, we know as a reader who Amaram is, uh, Adolin doesn't, and so Adolin's having this conversation back and forth with Amaram about Sadius and about Delinar. And then he stops and he just, his mouth just gapes. And he's like, who is that? And Shalom like walks right past him to, to Dalinar. And he's like, and then Amran makes fun of him for it. I think it's a really funny, really funny dialogue there. Well, it's funny. And this was another thing that didn't go how I expected it to. I really was going to like take a guess that Adolin wouldn't have initial interest in Shalon. And right. that it would have to be some kind of, I don't know, whatever development thing. I didn't think it was going to be an initial interest. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess my judgment on how these interactions were going to go are way different than, yeah, than I internally predicted. My, my question, I think, for Adolin and Shalon is, can Adolin stick with it? Because Aelin's all about, you know, whatever's new, right? He's he's always moving from one girl to the next. He, he it's almost like he gets bored of of his relationships, and he needs something new and exciting. So right now, Shalon is like the newest, ex- most exciting thing is town. She's super exotic and different than all the other Alethi women, and so he's drawn to her because of that. Will that keep his interest is right. the bigger question for me. Is is he going to actually fall in love, if you will, with, with who Shalon is? Or is this strictly going to be a, she's the, the bright, shiny new toy for a few weeks and then he's moving on? Shalon has way more stakes in this relationship than Adolin does. Adolin oh, yeah. doesn't really care unless he has emotions for it. Shalon needs this to work bar none. For her family, for her mission at the Shattered Plains, she needs financial support from House Colin, and the best way to do that is getting this to work out with Adolin. And and she comes right out and says exactly that to Dalinar, which was that was pretty surprising for me. You, Paul, your your words for this episode were what on eight, right? I was honestly pretty surprised when Shalon decided to go for honesty and when she decided to go for deceit. Cause she goes for like the honesty route when she's talking to Dalinar and basically says, yeah, I, I, I need this to help my family basically. But I felt like she was selling short there. I mean, she, she kind of backs up with like, I don't have nothing to offer. I was the the ward of Yasna Colin who no one else has been able to achieve. You know, that's worth something, but I was thinking too, she has a lot of information that Dalinar needs. And and I think she's not just not quite ready to share that yet. I think she wants to bide her time, but she has a lot, she has information on the Parshendi and their ties to Voidbringer and whatnot. All of that's going to become really valuable to Dalinar pretty soon here. And so she does have things that she can offer Dalinar. I think she's just maybe not ready to share them or they maybe haven't quite realized how relevant or important those are yet. So I think Shalon sold herself a little bit short there by going the, the hundred percent honesty route, but it, it worked with Dalinar, I think. This, this is one thing that I thought about a little bit and because like, like Trevor said, this is 
kind of non-negotiable for Shallan. It is this or nothing. Um, and she leads with that. And I bet if that was like kind of declined or pushed off or she's kind of sent out, I bet she would have kind of taken that a step further than maybe a step further and, and things like that. And I don't know if that was intentional. If that was, if so, that would be kind of impressive of Shallan or if that was just a, an honesty, like yeah. this is the real root of things here. Um, but yeah, it felt like she withholded information um, that she could have given, but she didn't just like spill everything right then and there. Even though it was kind of the deepest, it was like the bottom layer of of things. Um, she didn't like overshare or go go through everything right there. Right. And then she kind of goes the Hail Mary play everything's gone well with Dalinar and House Kalin so far, besides maybe Navani's reaction, but everything has gone well so far that she decides to go full send and put De put Sabariel on the spot. She doesn't even know Sabariel. She has has notes from Yasna about Sabariel and she says, yeah, this might work. And then in front of everybody, she says, yeah, Sabariel promised me I could stay at his place with a weekly salary. And Sparrow's like, I did what? <laughs> I did what? <laughs> yeah, I did that. And yeah. So, and that works out for her too. So it works out for her in that she pulls it off and I'll definitely give her credit there. It, it, she, she, Takes a pretty big gamble. She plays it well, though. She reads the room pretty well. She she understands, okay, this is who this is. These are the different players. She learns quite a bit. She realizes about halfway through that Yasna's notes are a bit outdated. She's realizing that some people are on actually different sides than maybe she she thought they, they were. She, she kind of gets a feel for the landscape, for where everyone's at, and then she makes her move. So I think all of that was pretty smart. Um, I can see why she picks Sabariel. I think she... She's trying to stay out of it as much as she can. She wants she wants freedom, right? She she's got this mission that she's going to try and accomplish to continue Yasna's quest. She also has, I remembered back to she's got a meeting set up with the Ghostbloods. Yep, right with the, that span read. She set up a meeting with them, and so kind of continue that line of kind of subterfuge or or con, if you will. She's going to need to have some some freedom and. and ability to move about unseen if she wants to keep keep that going so all of that plays in well with kind of picking sabario but that dude does not seem like someone i would want to trust with you know my hail mary pass like you were right. saying that was that was quite the the call and it seems to work out so far but he, he kind of a sadius type of guy where he he's not going to back you up if it's not going to help him out so hopefully this doesn't uh come back to bite Shalon later. Is it towards the end of chapter 38 where Shalon's Shalon tells him, Oh, you just made a really beneficial, beneficial arrangement. And then she thinks to herself, I have no idea what that is. I'll have to figure that out. But she's, yes. she's really good at this front of, Oh, by you're the one that's benefiting from this. Not me. I haven't told you how yet, but we'll get there. I'll, once I, once I think of it, I'll tell you. One thing I want to mention before we move on from, we've been talking a lot about chapter 38 there. Something that happens or something they bring up actually in chapter 38, our, our characters realized it before before I did that I, I didn't even think about. And that's the fact that Zeth's timing here of showing up was actually really unfortunate in all of this negotiation with the Parshendi. Because they, Downar and, and Elokar, the rest of them, they, they talk about how the last time Zeth showed up and killed Gavilar, it was right after a peace treaty was signed, like the night after a peace treaty was signed with the Parshendi. Well, a messenger from the Parshendi showed up asking for peace talks, and Zeth shows up and tries to assassinate someone. Like We know, or at least we we think we know, that those are completely unrelated. We know that the, we've seen kind of some of the Parshendi, they're 
honestly trying to have some peace talks, at least at this point. We know Zeth has been sent by Arvangia and completely different. So they're not aligned, but from the Alethi perspective, it totally makes sense that they would be aligned. And so right. that's going to really some suspicions here and throw a wrench into the the whole peace talks with the Parshendi works that I didn't even think about, but makes total makes total sense. That was some really bad timing there. So when they go to talk to the Parshendi, they'll be like, "All right, why did you try to assassinate us again?" And they'll say, "Exactly, we, we did. We didn't do. We did what? We didn't send the assassin again." Now, those peace talks, as we talked about last episode, may break down for other reasons, but uh, right. we'll see what happens. In the form of storm form, but... Yes. I do have to say, before we move on, that, that it, it's almost like, you know, as one thing kind of settles the the rest of the background is kind of unsettling uh as i feel like as we thought there might be a resolution around the corner for the parshendi and the shattered plains uh that is we haven't seen it bite yet but it's definitely not going to be smooth i would guess um whereas i feel like the shalon stuff it's kind of evening out i mean there's a whole lot of bumpy road things going on but nothing majorly bad is really happening there um with shallan at least i feel like she's going to be able to talk to dalinar and kind of get things sorted out there's obviously a lot of room for that to go south but i feel like that's kind of evening out but the rest with the parshendi is kind of we're tuning that out we're not thinking about it right now but um <laughs> I feel like it cannot go well, given the circumstances. Whenever, this is kind of off topic, but whenever I think of Sabariel as a character, I think of John Rhys Davies and his portrayal of Gimli in The Lord of the Rings, where he's kind of just in the middle of this Council of Elrond, if you will, and he's just watching the show he's there for the ride if you will he'll he's looking for his the closest the closest beer they don't have beer on roshar they have their wine but he's like he'll burp in public he doesn't care and i don't know that's just what i think of the gimli character of the of the council yeah he's kind of not paying too much attention people are like what do you think about this and he's like yeah yeah sure like right <laughs> yeah anything and, that and to, yeah, just good and just going you know full-on like heckling you know he's like the the peanut gallery too just kind of making fun of everything that, that everyone says not actually contributing anything of of use <laughs> whenever they ask him to chip in he's like whatever makes this meeting go by faster and lets exactly. me get to the feast faster i want that yep Some some good comic relief, but again, not the guy I would really want to hang my hopes on for my my master political Chalon does. So we'll see how it works out. From a from a rereader perspective, I'm trying to figure out how much credibility Shalon's story has. Where she shows up and she says yeah, I'm Yasna's ward. Oh, by the way, Yasna's dead, so she can't confirm that. I'm conveniently engaged to be married to your son, so let me and your family and set me up in Sabariel's princedom, please. Like, who? How, how much credibility does she have here? She has the span read, right, that gets her in the door. And so there's that. Does she have anything else? Does she still have the, the trunk of Yasna's books? And things like that. Yes, she does. That, that's what I thought of was like the things of Yasta's that she has, and the things she knows about Yasta, like fairly, I guess, personal things like that. Um, is more than just like a coincidence. Or someone who may know a bit about her would know. Um, 
And they also knew she had a ward, right? They did know, like, the family knew. I feel like there's enough pieces you can put together. But you're right. It is It is not easy <laughs> to just be like, hey, you know, also said, uh, I'm betrothed to, to Adolin, you know. They're not just, being, they're not just gonna be like, okay, yeah, sure, like go, <laughs> yeah, you know. Which I mean, Kaladin calls her out for it, right? In their big showdown outside of the council room, Kaladin says outright, "You're not actually his betrothed. You're you're just taking advantage of this situation. I'm not gonna let you. I'm not." In. And then that kind of spirals into their insult battle that they that they have, but. Kaladin definitely feels that way of you don't have enough evidence to to convince me, but she probably has enough. She probably can, you know, recount enough conversations between Yasna and Navani to probably at least Navani, I would think. And I actually just thought about this for the first time back in the way of Kings Navani and Dalinar have a copy of Shallan's sketch of oh yeah of what Yasna describes as a as a void bringer but it looks like a chasm fiend and it, it was a short conversation between Yasna and Dalinar but that's Shalon's writing that's Shalon's pictures so maybe there's some credibility there yeah they could ask her to duplicate that or reproduce that or something like that and that could maybe be some more some more proof if they really push came to shove right but as far as Adolin's concerned for now, he doesn't care. She's pretty, so uh, he's happy. Pushing on to chapter 39. So I want to say this is a not profound input. This is... Um... I feel like I should read this chapter three more times than I have. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a lot more in this potentially than I picked up. Uh, this is our flashback Shalon chapter, which I guess we hadn't had one in a while, at least till some part, time in part two. Um, and a lot of stuff happens. Someone comes in to the scene here at this feast, right? Uh, yep. with with her whole family, you know, the the king and her her dad and and Yankovid. and a man comes into the scene with one light eye and one dark eye and everything gets all all weird up in there. I'm I'm curious to hear Elliot's thoughts on this about what's going on. I I mean, I didn't really know what was going on. We know that there's a whole lot of family drama and all the kids leave and everything. Like, I actually feel like I just did not put the pieces together well enough and I should read this more times because it's very important. I, I didn't actually take too much out of this chapter. The biggest thing I got out of this was just that everyone is so terrified of Bright Lord Devar and that's why he's able to kind of rule his little fiefdom the way he does you, you've got this this scene where yeah the 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 son of the of the bright lord that's above the devar family shows up and says hey there there's been some accusations that uh you killed your wife and and that's not cool so we're gonna take you down but they can't actually take him out of power kind of you know corroborating evidence which they can't get because everyone's so terrified of Lord Devar himself. And so no one's willing to speak up about it because they know that he's going to beat them to death. And so just kind of this reign of terror that he has over his household and his little mini kingdom was the biggest takeaway for me. I think the, the only bit of note that I felt had a lot of implication elsewhere was something that Shalon actually says. So towards the end of the chapter, the her brothers are talking about, you know, oh he he'd be getting what he deserved if they came in and deposed him since he since he killed mother. And Shalon replies with, "He didn't kill mother." And they she gets cut off before she, she talk more, but 
I, we've been suspicious that maybe this is Shalon specifically saying that he didn't. And so I think Shalon even herself questions herself in that moment. He, but so, so this doesn't provide any necessary evidence for me, for me, but I was of the belief before this, based on our previous flashbacks that he, he actually did kill the, at least the, the lover, if not the, the mother. So I don't know. This is this is now some new evidence, I think, in, in putting that picture together. Shalon has memory issues as we've but as it's been well established. So but but you're right, she's very definitive of no father didn't kill mother and then her mind goes blank. So her memory might be coming back, she might be making things up. We don't like she might be trying replacing it with false memories just to cover up what has scarred her there. We we don't know. But I wouldn't take Shalon as a reliable narrator, if you will. Yeah, it's no it's no definitive evidence either way, I don't think. But it's it's a little more of that trying to piece together what happened on that that fateful night that has scarred Shalon and, and caused her so much pain and, and brokenness. So it's 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 another kind of glimpse into that. We still don't have the full picture. There's still the glowing strong box thing in her father's room, which we can't figure out how that plays into it all. So yeah, I I didn't take a ton out of this flashback chapter. Actually it it kind of gave me a feel for some of the like her brothers and their personalities, but uh I, I didn't take any massive revelations from this this chapter. Something I do want to highlight in this chapter is I want to give the Devar family a little bit of personality because it's kind of easy to dismiss all of them as each of them have their own problems and they're they're all they're all weird and Shalon's lucky to be to escape from that place alive. But when the messenger comes to confront her father, her brothers group together and they're they're trying to they're trying to laugh they're trying to be a family because uh they they take it serious for a little bit and then Shalon says oh i can hear what they're saying and they all look at her and say oh wait really what are they saying and she just completely makes up a story just to make them laugh and then they all they once they figure it out they they laugh at her and then they kind of pause and they say wow, I wish we had more of this. This would be really cool if we could, you know, be a family, laugh a little bit and have have what other people have because they don't have a mother. They think their father killed their mother, so they're not on good terms with their father and they just have each other. So they are, they're trying to get through it together. They've got their problems. Shalon has memory issues. She barely talks. Hel- or Balat has crab issues. Uh, and they there's some there's some gambling there's some arson going on but they they really are trying to get along as a family and get through it together so uh, that's what i picked up on my read through of this is they really are trying to trying to cope if you will it's stuck in a pretty terrible situation for sure and yeah, I, I I do I did get some of that that you're talking about. They're just trying to bond together and get through this, right? They're just trying to do what they can in a pretty rotten rotten situation they've been been stuck in. For sure, I am really glad that you brought that up, Trevor, because it is very easy to discount the Devar family as crazy, kind of psycho, right? <laughs> um you know kind of just leave them be um and things like that but you know especially from what we've seen of the kids um there's a lot of at least hope or or desire for things to improve um slightly taking a step back to what Elliot was saying with or or briefly discussing I guess the question, did the dad kill the mom or, you know, how did the mom die? 
I automatically want to assume the opposite and that almost maybe the dad is like behind the scenes some sort of hero or at least at the minimum didn't kill the mom um and, and is innocent there but there are you know he, he could be super upset in the way he is because it was a tragedy and he can't talk you know there's lots of stuff that could be going on there um so my gut feeling wants to say that the dad is better than he seems he seems horrible um and just uses fear as a weapon with everything and stuff but i i, I guess i have a little hope that that's not truly the case um for him but one other thing I wanted to ask is, do you think this this person with the different colored eyes is significant or not? Because I feel like it kind of defies the logic we know of the world. Um, I don't know if there's any kind of thing like with maybe a light eyes and dark eyes like parents if that's possible like if anything like that's possible or if this is just an if this person's really special i don't know what y'all think um or not i'll yeah i can chime in I'll, I'll tell you what i think or what i thought as i was reading tell us how we're all wrong and it doesn't matter but the when it when we first got that description i did kind of key into that as like oh, wow, is this guy, you know, some kind of crazy anomaly that's a bridge between light eyes and dark eyes? And yeah, this is, you know, some third class of of people. Do they think he's a light eyes? Do they treat him as a dark eyes? Like, how does he fit in the whole scenario? And I thought he might be fairly important. But then as, as I kept reading the description, I'm um, probably not nearly as important. He's described as the bastard son of High Prince Valum. So I... I kind of just took that he is probably the son of a light eyes high prince who had an out of wedlock affair with a dark eyes woman. And this was the result was you got this dude with the one light eye and the one dark eye, kind of that mixed blood thing, which yeah, maybe has some implications of, yeah, like where does he fall in kind of their cast or system that they have with the different nons and dons and all that right but ultimately i i kind of convinced myself that i felt like this was not necessarily important and this was just kind of the mixing of those two hierarchies but maybe there is more there i don't know that's fair i think if there is more we definitely don't know that now and sure yeah could, that could definitely turn into something but you know, uh, it seems like Brandon Sanderson likes to kind of drop things in casually, and then very, maybe very later true. on, maybe later on, that could be something important. Um, yeah, but right now, yeah, I guess it's safe to say it's not a big deal. Good stuff, guys. Any closing thoughts from this chapter of the whole episode? This was a very enjoyable part to read, um, but I guess it wasn't super earth-shattering, so I, I'm really looking forward to going forward. I mean, it's the start of a part, so I was kind of expecting it. Um, but yeah, it, it was great. I really enjoyed it, these chapters. I, I too thought it was, was good. I'm really wondering what's next. It, it's starting to move quite a bit quicker. The, the first part of Wars of Radiance was a little bit slow, it did kind of the, the some of the chapters dragged a little bit as we were just kind of getting some descriptions of stuff, but but now things are starting to move. My reading feels like it's going a lot faster because I'm you know eager to figure out what's on the the next page. I did want to go back and touch on one thing really really quickly. In, in the beginning of chapter thirty six, the start of all these chapters, Shalon is you know trying to set her herself and her perspective for going into all the stuff that we we just talked about she's she's arriving she's trying to decide you know who who am i going to be going going into this and i i noticed that she is kind of approaching it as it's like she's trying to become a balance of she mentions three people she mentions yasna 
she mentions Tin, and she mentions Helloran, her her older brother, who were is kind of mysterious. We don't really know about, but she she notes kind of like a trait of each of them too. She wants to be Yasna's determination, but Tin's confidence, but then also Helloran's like righteousness or or kind of goodness. And I think I don't know that she's arrived at maybe the balance of the three of those, but that seems to be her goal is to kind of take those different bits of these people who have been so influential in her life and who probably all three of them are dead at the, well, we know Tin is dead for sure. Yasna is 99% dead and Helloran is 92% dead. <laughs> we, they're probably all dead and gone, but they've been really important people in her life. And so for her to use them as kind of role models and trying to take on the best traits of each of them and, and become who she is. I, I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And I hope that she does find a, a good balance of those we see little trait little bits of each of those i think in these chapters that we we but but seeing where shallan develops from here is is going to be cool yeah the you have on the outline the first thing you have on the outline is fake it till you make it and as she's being carried up in a palanquin to the palace she's drawing herself presenting to the court and in the next chapter that is who she is she is able to pull confidence, pull a character, if you will, onto herself, like she's done for for Bluth, what she might be doing for Gaz, what she did for Yalb, and so, and it works on herself, so if she can pull inspiration from these other people and who she thinks, who she sees herself as, then at what point are you making it and not faking it anymore, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I think this is this is maybe her first kind of step in in the making it half of that you know on the airplane she was kind of faking it she was maybe using some of her illumination power or just kind of going with it and and trying to con these people into doing what she is now she's she's actually learned some of those leadership abilities she's actually learned that confidence and now so now she's just wielding the skills that she had that or that she has that she's was faking it originally but but now she's got it now she's learn those skills and now she's using them and so is it is it a lie anymore for her to be who she is well not made it her reality so it's it, it's cool to see that I'm, I'm i'm really actually looking forward to probably at the very end of this book looking back and kind of dissecting journey here because it's it's been fascinating already and it's going to get more fascinating i think depending on where she goes from here so i'm i'm looking forward at being able to i'm looking forward to looking back at all of this journey that she's been on because it's an interesting one in order to look back we have to go forward so we can meet again next week thanks for joining me Elliot and Paul see you later farewell okay,